Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Green Through. Here today with us I am pleased to be joined by Felipe Contreras who happens to be the associate producer at the NIA Terra Foundation. Simply put, the NIA Terra Foundation aims to ensure and works to ensure that indigenous people have the economic power and cultural independence to steward, support and protect um, their livelihoods and territories they call home. Did you know that around a quarter of the um, global land area on earth is owned, managed, used or occupied by indigenous people. I think such a statistic should indicate and reinforce the key role that indigenous communities should and will play in uh, our planet's decarbonization journey in the future and their role as guardians of key endangered ecosystems on a global scale. That being said, Philippe, I think it would be suitable to start with a little introduction regarding your interesting background and it will be fascinating to know and gauge how you got involved with uh, such an amazing institution such as Neoterra. Well, thanks, Eric, for that lovely introduction. My name is Philippe Contreras. I'm from Los Angeles, California, currently live and occupy uh, as a guest on Duwamish territory here in Seattle, Washington. Um, my journey towards Neotero probably started four years ago, five years ago. It's been this ever set journey of me pursuing my ambition to honestly work with others and, and storytell. Um, I learned about Neotero and our work in 2016, like when it was even first mentioned as an idea where going into it, yeah, that stat you gave was, was kind of like that unraveling for where it started. As, um, and to me, who's, I have a background in anthropology, but I also have a master's cert from a communi environmental communications program in, in Canada. And um, for me, that was like obvious knowledge. Like right. it's, it wasn't you when it was just like discovered in quotes. Um, in 2015, 2016, in, in a report that went kind of viral in the academic circles. And that was basically the principles in which Neotero was started on. And I went through school and that grad program to get to a place where in 2020, I got my foot in the door here. We're a four-year-old organization to this point, and I've been here for about a year and a half. And within that year and a half i've learned so much and we as an organization continue to learn and explore a lot and so it's a little bit about me but <laughs> that's like the short and sweet answer of how i got here right right and it uh, sounds like a, an interesting journey and uh, i think it'll be suitable to you know in terms of like the broader picture it would be uh, fascinating to um, gauge what Neotero's mission, let's just say, on a, on a broad scale is and, uh, you know, what you guys aim to do with your um, services on a global scale. Yeah, the way I describe it is Neotero's mission, what we do, when people ask me what we do, which is a common question, is that we work alongside indigenous peoples pertaining to issues on climate change, social justice, and cultural preservation. So what that means to me is that we're, we're on this journey to help safe, help 
in whatever way we can, whether it's economic enterprises and building economies to amplifying their stories to working in partnership to get protective governance and and legislator on on their specific regions within their specific governments um basically the protection to what they currently have or and what they're currently fighting from and so right. I speak to this very broadly, as, as, you, as you said, because in the three, re we, we primarily focus in three regions. One's the Boreal, the other right. is Amazonia, and the third is Pacifica. And in each of these places, indigenous peoples, indigenous issues, indigeneity, all appear and look different. Um, we have this word guardianship in our mission. Right which I know you, you're probably going to ask me about soon. And <laughs> that word to us from a Western construct means a lot of things, right? It's pretty simple what like we can envision what guardianship is. But in these places, that isn't necessarily even a word they have in their language. Right. Um, um, and and it's, a, it's something that we constantly like, I've hear discussions of how we can continue to to elaborate on that word further because it it it's not a whole encompassing representation of what we do but what we do know and as that study has stated in these places that the community has an understanding and almost in a lot of respect of responsibility to caretake the land it's it's literally embedded into their culture it is it is the language they speak their language is derived from the land and so this study in 2015 that came out that's like oh look at all the most vital ecosystems vital in quotes again all the most <laughs> rich uh, biodiversity is all centered, like 80% of it centers to be centered in indigenous territories. Like that's not a coincidence when a day, like their daily lives and, and the way they, they've embedded their society and cultures is derived on what we call reciprocity, but it's basically this value of mutual exchange. It's mutual exchange of like, give as much as you take, take as much as you give, um, understanding connection that, that, the planet and their and land and, and environment has much to do with your health and vice versa. You have as much to do with its health. Right. right. Absolutely. And so that's, that's for me, like our, like our mission and this term guardianship and, and, and I could get like, I can only really speak to our work from a storytelling perspective and how we achieve right. that. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's how I see it. That's how I, I envision it and that's the work we do. Our mission is to basically protect and help do whatever we can to help them protect and achieve whatever they need for them to, for it to be protected. And also to be on something like this where we're trying to share and spread this knowledge to people to understand that this, this is something that at least to me is rooted in our humanness that at one point we've been disconnected to this episode right is I mean, this this podcast is about sustainability and there's no better 
understand uh, under uh, understanding and knowledge of sustainability when unless like there's no better understanding of sustainability when it comes to the knowledge of traditional ways of indigenous communities around the world yeah that's be that's beautifully said exactly. and beautiful beautifully put and uh, i think it's beautiful your concept of you know giving what can i say your own spin and interpretation to you know what guardianship means to you as an employee and also based on the experiences and the cultures that you come across with your let's just say global exposure and near terror and on 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 this subject i want to ask you how do you necessarily approach the selection of those you know local uh, ngos or you know non-local bodies that you choose to fight this um this fight with and uh, how do you approach the grant issuing in terms of you know support for uh, for these communities and you know um, all the values that they're striving to fight for essentially well that's a great question i think to start how do we approach and how do we work with community we've we've been working under the radar for the last three years really really building from the ground up hiring part hiring employees and contractors who have years and years and years and years of relationships in these regions and so we ha we lean quite heavily on their expertise and their knowledge and 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 the relationships that they have built over over their lifetime and life lived experience and um that's another aspect of what we do at Neotero. We're bridge builders. We, we, and it's all centered around relationships and specifically our relationships with, to our partners. We will, from what I've seen, it's, it's, that is always the emphasis. Like any conversation that we bring up, is it in the best interest for our partners? What is their say? Um, and as far as like how we go about being selective, some of these relationships have been brought to us some of these relationships have have been developed over the course of time um and it's all kind of run and 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 um and decided by those people who are leading our regional work so our regional partners okay. and our regional um strategists as far from a grant aspect though from a storytelling aspect we we do grant we we're not a philanthropy but we do grant and we have uh stages within the year where we intake grants right. and then we come okay. to a decision as a team of which grants we we feel are strong and um and then we just kind of go for there but we're not we are a decolonizing like at least the way i see it we're our, our process is we are a decolonizing institution so we don't we don't understand come and approach our grants from a very like headstrong we do because of course we got to answer to our board but right in some way we do but in most ways we try to work as much with the artist as possible to find that connection because we're we are inspired by their work and um yeah and 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 i think part of our i think part of why i'm here is that i think neotero could be that example of an institution that really innovates the way we work with all of community and not just indigenous but a way to model how other institutions could be more equitable 
have more representation, right. give more access to um, to communities that that and in, in the past just haven't had. Right. And I think that's a key point. And uh, I think what really what can I say um, comes across about Neoterra's unique approach and support is that you don't have what can I say a standardized template in terms of support and assistance. Right. Your approach is very much elastic, um, nimble and um, flexible, depending on who you're dealing with. Right. So I wanted to ask you, do you approach potential or new partnerships with um, a predetermined time frame or is very much, you know, dependent upon, you know, project by project basis? Yeah. Um, so the other aspect and, and it, maybe that's how we've operated within the last year with this fluid notion. And we like I said earlier, we in the last year and a half that I've been here, it's been this constant learning and unlearning and self-reflection and, and, and kind of where can we go from here with with this embedded like this was the we these were the the original principles in which we built this institution on which is again around guardianship around land around indigenous culture and preservation and related to um, climate change and and so forth and so that's that's the lens we approach everything at and because of COVID-19 we've we've tended we've honestly probably granted more than we originally thought we were going to grant at this point but that was a way to that we pivoted in order to continue the mess the message continue the work to, c to continue to get um community what they need right because we can't be there on the ground anymore but these stories and and these projects still need to be funded still need to happen you know the work's absolutely just stop because we're stopping and and not obviously in a safe covid friendly um because we also realize that the indigenous communities have been at the have been marginalized and we knew we didn't want to continue to perpetuate that history so we we did it in a in a wise way but as far as when we're looking at a grant we do look at it from a perspective like long term um we don't go into expecting and this is with our fellows too we don't go into it expecting a specific product at the end we okay. Obviously, they're coming into the, so for example, uh, a community and and let's just say here, community based here in Washington comes and they want to do a film. Um, great, love the film. They give us their timelines, but if those in, in production timelines change all the time, you're running a podcast. I'm sure like people Absolutely. people <laughs> back out or some something's gonna happen. And we're, as far as the way we grant, as long as, like, if transparency is key and the outcome, it's less about the outcome, but the continue, like, relationship. But also, but also, like, we're hoping something happens. And they have the opportunity next year to come back and reapply for a grant. Because our grants are invite only. And I didn't stress that earlier. It is invite only. Um, okay come back for a grant and if it was like if they're on like a good timeline and we're still seeing the vision then we'll grant again so it is like yeah yeah if that makes sense it is it, it is a different no, approach really really is a different approach to grant making where we're we're putting a lot of trust in in the creatives 
but they're also putting a lot of trust in us and it is that relationship of how we can both achieve the 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 mission or of the the what the story is trying to accomplish together in whatever way we can sometimes it's financial sometimes i get grantees coming coming to me for just more connections um in a specific area they're thinking of filming or or, or, or specific knowledge expert in a field that they don't know. So it's like, we, I really, I treat it as a, as my, my role in granting, I treat it as like whatever they need, I'm just gonna do my best to provide. Um, and I think that's, yeah. um, that's, a, that's a beautiful approach. And I think you've touched upon the, the key role here, which is, you know, through podcasting, it's very much about storytelling and raising awareness about the right issues, right? And uh, when it comes to you guys and dealing with what can I say, indigeneity and unique um, stories, right? How important have, you know, more, what can I say, uh, new and technological streams such as podcasting and documentaries to, uh, what can I say, paint such stories more profound, more uh, distinctly and, you know, to grow the awareness surrounding these uh, sensitive and important matters? Well... And it's actually, I'm going to give a shout out right now, but one of my colleagues, Taylor Hensel, um, was explaining to me that in indigenous stories, um, they explains, in most indigenous stories, it explains like where they come from, their knowledge, and that's how they pass on their understanding of place and, and responsibility. And I think that's not just a connection and a commonality that indigenous peoples have. But I think that's what we all have. Storytelling is like one of the, if not the most powerful vehicle and medium to change and to inspire and to, and to put out in the world. And so we, and for the longest time it has been used in, as a way to oppress and provide narratives on on communities and all communities on um to present a specific picture or 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 specific narrative of 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 again oppression in some instances and so i think now it more important than ever more important than ever is to present stories in a way that are representative of of the people that they are about that are as diverse to those people as they as diverse as they can be as well and that's my goal as far as storytelling is concerned and what i think we try to achieve from a podcast where we have our specific regions and our specific focus and we have our like our, our lenses and our lanes that we we try to stay in through our story it doesn't mean we can't inch out of it a tad every so often but but we know we know where our angle is but i think it goes beyond that in general like i think it goes beyond that but yeah uh podcasting documentaries tv we there's there's those have all been on the horizons for us as far as like our ambitions we have our work is centered in all those mediums um 
writing, journalism. We have journalism grants. I didn't even re- I didn't even mention that, which is new, specific to the Pacific. I'm not in charge of that, but these are the That's types powerful. of initiatives we're yeah we're setting forward. Is we're really trying to continue to increase access to different mediums of storytelling for 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 communities so that their voices are the ones that are reflecting their truth right that it's no longer national geographic coming in right and with their journalists from america and the uk um around the world coming into community and just parachuting in and out and presenting what they found in whatever extended time they are able to spend it's it's literally the voices of these communities where 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 it should be coming from and yeah and first i think podcasting for us was a pivot because of covid and it's turned into a very effective way of communicating these stories um and some of these stories we've we've explored and are going to continue to explore have been told already and we're just reshaping what's actually been out there because that's not necessarily been the truth and another thing that i want to stress is that what sometimes is challenging for from from what we do from a day from what i do from a day to day is as a storytelling having to teach what like indigeneity is especially from when like how complicated it is and then the sense of like that narrative that's already out there of an indigenous person that a lot of people don't like they have that picture you say that right and there's an instant picture you have and like having to unteach that picture that some people have of it because of that perpetuating narrative that has happened over the course of the last 400 years right so that 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 is where we're starting from and so using storytelling and building on to that. educate and, and 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 progress yeah is is what we're trying to do and so whether it's documentary podcasts articles phot- photography uh, short videos um it, it doesn't honestly it doesn't really matter the medium they all have power to them to and to to inspire and to change and and I think that's a, yeah. that's a beautiful point. And I wanted to ask you, I think, uh, I don't think I'm going to have another opportunity to ask this question because of the uniqueness on the, of Nia Terra's work. I wanted to ask you, since you place, I think rightfully so, a lot of importance on storytelling, how do you, especially as a producer within the institution that you work for, how do you, what can I say, balance the element of authenticity of the story that you're trying to tell, right, of the community or the person within community in question and making that content, what can I say, um, marketable in a way, right? In terms of, you know, you're gonna, because at the end of the day, you're creating content to gain traction and that's the whole point of storytelling to broadcast it to as many people as possible. It must be a fine balance, right? Of retaining the authenticity and also creating an outcome that is, or an output that is quite, I wouldn't say commercially viable, but you know that it, it's gonna hold hold a place in the market that you're trying to um, release it into. Yeah, that's a great question because um, and one that honestly that I don't think about often because and yeah, because I'm gonna give a pretty political answer here, but it's true that <laughs> I have an amazing team of experience. My executive producer, my my our managing director of storyteller, Tracy Rector, she has five. Uh, she has. 20 years of experience of, of producing over 500 
films. And so wow. she is just an expert. And um, when it comes to like our, our, our strategies from film to podcasts are like ex- entirely different. Like right now we're, we're in a similar like Seedcast is our podcast Seedcast is in a similar kind of space as you are right now where we're just building right. from the ground up and it's about just doing the legwork and hoping absolutely it just maintains traction as you continue to get episodes and we eventually hope to like have be in meetings and be in conversations with like big heads of studios that could help continue to cross promote or um but that is our like our long-term strategy and our films film film the film space is an entirely different space where we once we create the product it's about submitting them to festivals and seeing how well they do and that's in some instances that could be the strategy submitting them to festivals right or even prior to the project even beginning we would be in conversations with like the netflix or hulu or an amazon prime a, a distributor a, a, a streamer that would then be in support of the project so that once we finished it was already going to a platform where the marketing engine that you're talking about is just performing for itself so we're we're extremely fortunate to have those sort of connections and relationships to be able to just do that um seedcast is a little bit different because like i said it is like the ground up we're we're but we do have a brilliant and amazing team of with podcasting and radio experience but it's that still doesn't make it easy so um right yeah so like the short answer and the simple answer is that we have an amazing team that gets to think about that that i can just like not have to focus on about the marketing aspect and the impact as much Absolutely. like i'm always thinking about the impact from a story perspective but it's not solely what i get to focus on because i solely get to focus on what you were originally saying is like how do we balance the authenticity of these stories and turn it into a story that one sparks interest that people could resonate to right that is authentic to the community and that takes time and it takes care and it takes conversation with that community as well we stress in our protocols that our stories need to go run need to be run through multiple times and and have maintained permission throughout the whole process before we even get to release something through from that community so absolutely so what normally might take a month for most stories takes us anywhere from six weeks to 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 three months just because we have that extra layer of care you're more rigorous and, right which is sometimes hard because we're production is production is production right and we're always we're gonna have timelines and so that's that's what like the, and I'm, I'm only i'm explaining this because that's like what makes neoterra like different that's right like that's the decolonizing lens that we're bringing to it Right, we're we're we're, ve- we're stressing the importance of making sure that this represents community and that we have permission from them to tell it this way. So it may it means we spend a lot of time just listening before we even put pen to paper or or press record or or click the photograph. That's I think that's very powerful. I don't know if that answered your and, question. Uh, <laughs> No, it did. It did. It did. It very much did because it came full circle. And uh, I think as one of the concluding remarks, I wanted to 
ask you what can I say your personal personal vision and maybe hope as to how do you think that you know storytelling will shape because I think COVID has been a catalyst and an epicenter for you know having more light on the importance of you know going into greater harmony between humankind and nature but we all know how short-sighted uh, our incentive structures can lead us to be. But I wanted to ask you, do you think that storytelling and coming from you know, a pure and knowledgeable standpoint, you know, relaying the stories from indigenous communities can and is the right approach to building you know, long-term and long-lasting um, change, right? So that's a great question as well, because I see like, the, like and what I've been trying to stress is that we have multiple strategies as far as how we partake in our storytelling, right? Like there's that aspect of representation and amplification where it's community telling st stories from community and we just do our best to promote it. And then there's the aspect that we're trying to create our own original content where we're working with communities to tell stories that when it comes to impact and when it comes to like this perspective of what the power of storytelling could be, it depends on what our audience is. So sometimes the story we produce is specifically for policy. And w w we don't really, we're not really emphasizing that it goes, that everyone has to listen to it. We're really hoping that just a, fo a focus of particular people see it that could influence some of these big United Nations conventions of climate change or, or, or conventional policy, uh, on biodiversity, all these big conventions right. and forums that 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 um, that have conversations and negotiations on on issues that that relate to the protections of of, of these areas that and peoples that reside in in, in 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 these places, and so that's an aspect of it. But then there's the other aspect where it's just talking to someone like you, an audience where it's just somebody who isn't indigenous but show, showcasing that this knowledge is, is not just valuable, but this knowledge is, is, is truth, right? There's a, a something I've been stressing over the last two years, honestly, before even Neotero was that traditional knowledge isn't, is actually science is catching up to traditional knowledge, which for the longest, and then as an anthropologist, I can go back to like early 1900s analysis of, of, of anthropology that was based on on studies determined to prove that non-western cultures were primitive and not as and as, from a simplicity standpoint as smart and right and there's papers that you can go back to the 30s and 40s and 50s of studies that an, er, anthropologists then were realizing like actually it's the reverse and the fact that it took that you have papers you can go back to then that were where they were blown away by the fact that communities from from the northwest to the philippines to uh to to like tonga to hawaii to uh the mojave desert had this rich deep understanding through their language of being able to communicate and understand and understand the use of everything around them and know how to balance that use in order to 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 move forward and, and live right um and and so for me 
like that that has been in existence with this narrative that was built the existing narrative the dominant narrative that was built to suppress that knowledge to suppress those those understandings to present what is this dominant culture which is what a lot of western society has been built upon and um on the podcast about sustainability why why like think about why we we even have to have this conversation because a lot of the systems that we've built don't actually equal to such a sustainable message. model of living right yeah so so that's an aspect of our work is trying to communicate that understanding that at least and then what what is what is a trip and i'm gonna this is like simple term like i'm just gonna be real like what's what trips me out is that is the fact that this knowledge has been in existence and some of these communities that share all this 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 commonality whether it's mutual exchange reciprocity balance whatever the word it is for them in their language they they've never been in contact with each other but their values are are so similar and 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 and, and, and from a science-based evidence base right it shows that the areas that they're living in they're healthier and they're healthier um there's places in the pacific that it's i've learned recently there's places in the pacific that don't register or 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 mark land right land isn't owned there the concept of owning land doesn't exist and uh what is and and they 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 have rich societies they aren't like they they have they 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 have internet these are not like uncontacted places uncontacted places they these are rich thriving societies they just don't have colonial systems that impose a specific way of living such as ownership of land they manage their land they 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 do it through their customs um they do it through community them like a a democracy for uh, per se, that it's it's community managed, it's community led, it's 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 that's their focus. And so, why I'm bringing up that example is because this is this is what I'm I'm showcasing. Like, they they have a system design that is, in essence, sustainability. It is sustainable. It is a model of sustainability in a sense where they they're living in a world for them that. For a lot of us, it's even hard to fathom because Absolutely. like like for me and I'm Puerto Rican, I'm Puerto Rican, I'm Salvadorian and, and this I'm, yeah, I'm going on a little tangent now, but I'm Puerto Rican, I'm Salvadorian <laughs> and what and from what I've seen firsthand of some of the colonized colonization that has happened to my own people, it starts with land. It starts from a specific from an island standpoint when the U.S. came and even before that, when the Spanish came. Uh, it was about g- mapping, and then it was about uh, segregating the map and and this and and dispersing land to people, and then creating that system of buying and selling, which then perpetuates capitalism, which then perpetuates everything else that is just built upon that. And then Absolutely. that's not even going into the the governance of how it's modeled in the economy. That's not that's not even going into the economies that's built upon more into detail. But that's just an example. So the tangent short like what i'm what we're trying to teach going back to like why these places like these places at some point are they some of these relations have never been in a relationship to each other but their values are still similar like to me that just showcases that 
like at, at one point this was a way we all lived and somewhere along right, the way right. we lost that and so i'm trying to like reteach that in a sense to people like you and i who don't really examine it that way and i think that's <laughs> yeah. a, a beautiful concluding remark and i think you've sparked honestly one of the last questions that i wanted to ask you is that you know i think it's a lot bigger than just assigning a word right because it's the power of community it doesn't necessarily you know you can call it sustainability you can call it a green transition or you know whatever i think it goes beyond the label right and do you think that we truly need to what can i say disassemble and deconstruct the capitalistic mentality that doesn't necessarily mean go back and live you know on trees or whatever it is like absolutely not but do you think that it's a lot bigger than just you know planting more trees or putting out more solar panels or wind farms whatever it is it's truly more at the pseudo and neurological um level that we need to what can i say uh rewire and re-alter our sort of can i say symbiosis and synergy with the uh, with our surroundings right yeah, that one's, I think it's twofold. I think it's that to a sense. I think at some point we, as as individuals, need to come to that realization that it goes beyond us and there's ways to, to think through our day-to-day -to, -day to be in a more functional, natural way that, that we got to remember that this planet is is not infinite it's finite and its resources are finite so knowing that knowing that and knowing that we need to take care of it as much as we take care of ourselves is is the lens we need to shift in our heads and a lot of that just comes from the unlearning of some of the ways of living that we've 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 that are, are what um has perpetuated this this rapid climate disaster pretty much but for me i don't really like to i think people are power so i think part of the reason why people need to shift is that the more unified we are the more power we have but i think but i don't like to stress individuals are the issue because that's to me that's not as much as it is what it's about for me it's it's about people uniting to influence change structurally that go beyond one person so as much as we can teach masses of people it is then that that spark to instruct change that then is supported by govern governance to actually institute changes from production from the way we grow our food from the way we allocate land um a lot of what we fight for at neotero and and it's and it's um, a lot of what i hear in circles of community is just this land back movement indigenous communities want their land back so they can manage it like for example california that was the state i was raised in um there's something that it, there was a practice called controlled burns where in the springs, in the cooler time of the year, uh, the indigenous peoples would would um, would spark a fire, right? They would spark a fire in a forest and let it burn 
controllably and then okay. subside it and it'll go away. But that would trigger a number of things. One, these trees were designed like we, we what we've forgotten. One of the aspects that we have forgotten as humans is that we like to one, we put ourselves at the pedestal. It's like humans and then everything else. Every, it's like this triangular figure where humans are at the top and everything else is at the very bottom. In a lot of indigenous cultures, it's like very circular where we're all in the middle. There's nothing over, like there's nothing on top of anything. We're all interconnected. And we forget that the environment evolved with us, not on its own. Like we like to think that like it's just its own thing and and like like and that's what original conservation was about right protected areas and like displacing indigenous peoples kicking them off their land and just letting the land just sit and rest but for example in california like thousands and thousands of years of controlled burns that these trees evolved that they actually kind of like fire at a certain point you just they just need to be in the the state where they can thrive from fire what has happened over the last hundred years because there hasn't been controlled burns is that these trees have now become too dry and so like like not just dry it's probably the simplest term of the science but it's it's reached its point where burns are actually effective and a problem so when indigenous indigenous peoples used to understand and know what the cycle of tree needed to be in order to start controlling that burn and and it prevented big fires that we've seen over the last six, seven years consistently. It used to prevent that and also promote healthier growth in general to the forest wow. as far as fungi and other plants. They actually grew back better after the fire. Also signaled, which was really cool because it just shows that this doesn't like land <laughs> also affects the ocean. This would signal to salmon because it would, the fires would heat up the river it would signal to salmon to trigger their spawning season. So it would, so then wow. indigenous peoples would also do it because then they would have food because the salmon would come up and they'd eat some of the salmon that would pass by, pass through the rivers. So it was like, this is just an example of showcasing how deep an understanding that the communities have just had to these place. And it, and it goes back to that original point where it was like language like their language is the language of the land. Their culture is the culture of the land and right. place. And so their understanding is, has been accomplished for thousands of years where our Western academic knowledge of, of experts, quote unquote, have only been trying to understand this for the last, what, 150? Really? Like something Absolutely. like that. Longer and than that, but. I think. Yeah. I think that's, um, I mean, Jesus, what, a, what an incredible example of uh, an endogenous and circular knowledge system, you know, that indigenous people have over recent civilization being us, of course. And, uh, you know, I wanted to thank you for the great conversation, Felipe. I think this has been truly one of the most eye-opening convos I've, had, I've been able to have on the platform and to, let's just say, uh, learn a little more about indigeneity and to assign more importance to it and i think i think the overarching message is to listen more as opposed to just speak over others right yeah listen and then understand that diversity is huge and not all one place looks the same but that 
in this pursuit of, of knowledge and growth. And I think what's beautiful about this podcast, and again, thank you for even allowing me to be here. It's a privilege is that it, it's really up to us, our generation to really take this and listen now. And, and when we have an opportunity to actually enact change to do it because, um, yeah, cause it, it it's it's only going to continue to get harder and it's only and we have to continue to listen and and really try to grasp and um pay respects to multiple voices and and places where their knowledge might might actually have lessons and teachings instead of continuing dividing each other etc Absolutely. Honestly, Felipe, thank you very much. Best of luck with uh, Neotero and all the future work you're doing. And I'm sure I'm going to hear more about the amazing endeavors that you guys are going to be part of. And uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, Eric. Thank you. Pleasure, man. Thanks for everything. Mm -hmm.